right, so we're live on the air. I'm sorry, we're starting. Our multitude of fans are waiting. Six is in. <laughs> There's nobody waiting, but we're doing it anyways. <laughs> right. So, Craig, why don't yeah. you start off, talk about the movie that won the poll. All right, so we are here for another uh, installment of the three podcast hosts, one sliced alone movie. And this month, I am thrilled that we are doing the 2001 star-studded cast filled action star uh, action uh, adventure movie driven there's a lot to talk about this movie i don't want to take up too much time setting things up but i'm craig cohen from the Slycast. we're a podcast that chronologically is going through the career of sylvester stallone and we're taking our damn time doing it <laughs> yeah i think this is the fourth one in a row where i'll ask you so uh, When's your next episode coming out? <laughs> Waiting for Judge Dredd still. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm not sure if it hit Canada yet, but Creed 2 just hit the home video market. Oh. So wow. we'll be having our Creed 2 super special, which you guys are both a part of. We'll be coming out soon, and then that'll be followed up by Judge Dredd. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, right, guys? That's what they Absolutely. say, yes. Yeah. That's why everyone's tired of our podcast, which is mine, the uh, Going the Distance, the Rocky Series podcast. Uh, my name is Ryan, and I host that with my uh, brother Ruben, that show. It could be found on every podcast app out there and social media out there. Just Google Going the Distance, the Rocky Series podcast, and you'll find me in our show. If you think they're sick of you, Ryan, they got to be sick of us because we release one episode every weekday. That's the Rocky Minute. We are just about wrapping up season two, which we're thick in the deep of super fight two right now in uh rocky two yeah that's uh rocky minute on all your podcatchers out there go check that out i gotta give you guys credit for suffering through that coma oh my god it's been a lot of suffering (laughs) it was a slug for sure (laughs) hey we made it though (laughs) the best thing that coma's ever done is uh shake adrian out of her freaking stupor that's about it yeah and after going through rocky 2 uh we've come to realize like if they would have cut a few minutes out of the coma and dedicated that maybe elsewhere in the movie kind of building up the rocky and adrian's um financial woes for example i think it might have done a little more service to that storyline you know that part of the plot well, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the uh, the writing prowess of Mr. Stallone, and uh, yeah, not every not not everything that he uh, writes is Rocky One. But before <laughs> that, let, let me let me come out no and way. say just a couple of things because <laughs> I've gotten the impression that you guys both dislike this movie a whole lot compared to how much I at least appreciate it you okay you cannot okay listen well first first as we always do let's talk about when we first saw the film and how long it's been since we've seen the t- film for the first time i did see this film like i often do and we talk about this in the theaters as a big stallone fan i paid a ticket and uh, in 2001 i would have been uh, 26 years old and i Bought a ticket to the uh, directed movie by Reddy Harlan, who gave us a fantastic film, which we haven't covered yet on our uh, Stallone Podcast Network yet, Cliffhanger. Thinking to myself, boy, you know, we got we got a kind of a, a Stallone version of Days of Thunder, and this is going to be amazing. And Reddy Harlan, the, the action director, here we go. It's been uh, 18 years since I've seen it. 
if that gives you an idea why it's taking me so long and we'll get to my feelings, but I will say watching it for the first time again in 18 years yesterday, I had forgotten or it's a Mandela effect of how horrible and brutal and terrible and outrageous this like like seriously hot take my gentleman. This movie is by far worse than Stopper My Mumble Shoot. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to hang, yeah. hang up right now and let you that is those. Hot take. Good Doug, hot go take. ahead. What's your, what, what's your take, Doug? I knew that the movie existed. I'm not a racing fan. I was never interested in anything NASCAR, Formula One, Crash. What the hell is this called? Cash. What is it called? Champ Car World Series. I've never been interested in it. So this movie really didn't appeal to me. So I've never seen it before, before reviewing it for this, which was last week. I never imagined that Burt Reynolds could be a bad actor <laughs> in anything, but I was corrected. <laughs> Craig, you mentioned the star-studded cast. So let's go through some of that cast. Star-studded, you say? Star-studded, well, yeah. okay. First of all, I'm waiting for Ashton Kutcher to come out and tell me I'm being punked. <laughs> <laughs> I also did see this movie in theaters in 2001, and then I probably watched it one more time when it came out on DVD, and I went, I'm sure I went to Best Buy the day it came out and bought it. Probably been 17 years since I've watched this movie, mm-hmm. and it definitely has the cast of a early 2000s movie. In addition to Sly, we've got Burt Reynolds, who was sort of on a career resurgence, much like Sly was. We've got Till Schweiger who plays Bo Brandenburg. Okay, this Till Schweiger guy, he's a German actor. He's awesome. Uh, this is Stallone's room. This is Stallone's <laughs> The Room. <laughs> I'm not even... I watched this movie, and I thought I was watching the race car version of The Room. <laughs> this, this guy, Till Schweiger, is literally the actor from uh, The Room. What's his name again? Tommy uh, Wiseau. Yes, that's him. Till is to- Tommy. They almost look the same. With she looks like he has short. He has like a short-haired version of uh, of that guy, and the way he acts. I swear, when he says, "This is my life. This is my life." <laughs> I actually wrote the room. I, I right. thought I was watching a version of the room. Oh, okay. All right. This is the second language. Give him a break. Yeah. So let let's get into this right now because no breaks. No breaks are given this. Because Stallone wrote the screenplay based on a story by two gentlemen named, uh, what, Jan Skrenty and Neil Tabachink. So <laughs> nailed sure. it. I'm sure I nailed it. I apologize to those two gentlemen if they're listening. They're not. But so Sly wrote the screenplay. And I got to say two things. First of all, imagine this. And, and I know both of you are going to have a hard time doing this. But imagine this is like a 12-part miniseries. Well, that would make Matt very excited. <laughs> <laughs> but it almost feels like Sly was trying to jam too much story and too many characters into this two-hour film. The other thing I'll say is a lot of the problems I think you have performance-wise are directly related to the shitty dialogue that Stallone gave them. The writing was the worst part of this. <laughs> but you know what else is funny? There were those little things where you're like, wow, if this went through like four or five or six edits – and you change the character names, this scene could have been in a Rocky movie. Oh, yeah. We're going to get to some of those quotes. So, yeah, I, I actually took very – I think the worse the movie, the better the notes I take. 
<laughs> and I took a lot of notes for this movie. And I'm prepared to go through this movie actually in chronological order, more or less, if you guys are willing to do that. All right. So we, we were running through the cast, and we already talked about it, uh, Mr. Mr. Wiseau, Gina yeah, Gershon. Mr. And then we've right. got two up-and-comers. This might have been the movie they peaked at. <laughs> we've got Kip Pardue. Yeah. And we've also got Estella Warren, who then the following year would do Planet of the Apes and then pretty much disappear. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's been a steady actress, but she has done nothing that you would recognize or have seen. Yeah. And Kip Pardue, I started to feel bad for Kip Pardue. And then I Googled him and I saw, I started seeing Me Too hashtags. So I slowly oh. backed away from investigating what Mr. Pardue's been up to. Oh, really, eh? <laughs> and then Rennie Harlan, who unfortunately was... Oh, right here. here. Here you go. Regarding Kip Pardue, the Hermosa Beach Police Department announced it is investigating a report of sexual misconduct filed by True Blood actress Sarah Scott, who alleged she was sexually violated while at work in May by a former co-star Kip Pardue. Wow. So I am going to say probably another controversial statement here. Kip Pardue, prettier than Estella Warren? No, he's ugly. <laughs> he was one of the worst he was absolute okay oh, okay his his character i wanted every time he was on the racetrack to crash i just wanted him to die i i felt nothing for this character i felt more for tommy wosul's character uh bo Brandenburg. I actually like Bo better than quote unquote the guy we're supposed are we supposed to like anybody in this film, by the way? I Memo. Memo. We're supposed to like Memo. Yeah, well, Memo is your poor man's version of Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> Memo was like super positive, except when he goes crazy during that one race. But he was fun. Yeah, he was yeah. good. Yeah. You know what? You make a good point, Ryan, because there is nobody that's really likable in this movie. Mm -hmm. There isn't. Can, it's weird. You can sort of argue that the brother, the manager guy, uh, played by a, what Robert Sean Leonard. Yeah, he's kind of a dick, but you can tell that he's got his brother's best interests no, in mind. That he's the real villain. <laughs> if there's a villain, it's him. Yeah. Let's just start at the beginning. Stallone was 54 when he made this movie. If that gives anyone any, any kind of context, I always like to say his age in the movie. Again, um, he looked great in this movie. He looked pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, when he's trimmed down and not bulked out for Rocky or Rambo, um, he, I think he looks good. Yeah, I don't know if, I, if I'm just used to seeing him at this point doing these cheesy roles. <laughs> but he, he was he actually acted this very well. I thought he was the best actor in this movie. Yeah, I think Craig already brought it up that anything weak regarding acting, especially when it comes to Stallone, I think actually actually only when it comes to Stallone because I think every other actor in this movie was horrendous. The scenes in this movie were horrendous. The oh. editing was horrendous. I couldn't even handle it. It's like, what am I looking at? Ryan is the perfect example of what went sideways with filmmaking in the late 90s and early yeah. 2000s. They exactly. took like that Oliver Stone, the innovative Oliver Stone, MTV-inspired editing, and just went batshit crazy. Agreed. Um, what about the CGI too? Like it was so <laughs> overused. So overused. <laughs> what? Like, there was CGI. You... It, all, it, all, it all looks so real. Where was the CGI? It was seamless. Why when that one tire a... goes flying up towards the camera and oh lands in the crowd. God. That's one of the worst ones. But why did you need the CGI quarter when he flips the quarter out? Of, why did you need that? <laughs> Well, I love how the corner was a CGI. It was well, that was horrible. And I feel like we're gonna we're gonna take a lot of detours on this race to the finish. 
so much classic sly stuff that got thrown against the wall here. The ritual with the coins, and then also the humming. That's the kind oh, of yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. humming. He's humming. Yeah. Every one of our listeners on our respective podcast, when they hear this on iTunes, I would say 95% of them haven't seen this film. So we're going to have to really try to sell yeah, things out for them. Plot stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Stallone yeah. plays a guy named Joe Tanto. No kidding. <laughs> His name in the movie is Joe the Hummer Tanto. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that was your nickname. Hey, Hummer. <laughs> How you doing, bud? <laughs> we find out the reason why he is called the Hummer is because when he's racing back in his heyday, there's a scene in the movie where he's racing around the track. And you see, as you know, in these race car situations, they're on the headsets with their coaches or whatever they have in the pit. Somebody says, why is Joe humming? What's that sound? Sounds like humming. Yep. Why is he humming? Just some crazy thing he does when he's pushing close to the edge. Anyone else ever do that? Not among the living. Not among the living. (laughs) (laughs) And that was that chubby dude, right? Sure. (laughs) That dude's a good actor. He might be the best actor in the movie. He was like this kind of help guy in the in the pit or in the or the crew he was like watching the monitors on the chat yeah so we have to have a montage so we have a race montage right at the beginning cars are racing we have uh, announcers talk in the background about the circuits that are going on the and the who's who in the zoom we have the two main pretty boys uh, jimmy Bly, played by kip <laughs> purdue and then we have bo brandenburg played by the uh, German actor who looks like Tommy Wiseau. So those two guys are the leads in this movie, and they're complete unknowns. They remain that way to the North American public to this day. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Unless you're you on the police report. Have and other stuff? I would have to he, look him up. He looks like a prototypical bad guy. And we're led to believe, Doug, at the beginning of this film, that he is the bad guy. I know. Who am I rooting for in this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is there anything you guys want to say about the race montage? Did you notice at the beginning of every race? So they run 10 races in a year and different cities like Tokyo, Germany, all Detroit. these other different locations. Detroit. The locations don't matter for the, our discussion of the film, but there's a variety of cities and countries that they go to throughout the film. And at the beginning of each race, though, they always have a gratuitous shot of three or four girls walking with midriff shirts and short shorts. It's some sort of display of the country they're in. Did you guys catch that? Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And they were showing the overall reach of the Champ Car World Series, Ryan. Which is what? It's a big thing. They were selling out stadiums. According to the graphic, there was 900 million, million. fans. <laughs> How's that possible? Because <laughs> they said 900 million, I guess, viewers on TV. They yep. have to factor uh-huh. that in. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I got to say that this is a well-executed way to start a movie like this because if nothing else it sets the table you might not like the way the table looks once it's set but it set the table sure <laughs> it's a smorgasbord of disaster they said that uh, leonardo dicaprio was originally considered to play jimmy bligh do you think that would have improved the film what would that have done for the film Leo's career would have sunk faster than Titanic had he taken that role. <laughs> I think Leo's one of those actors, and there's a lot of guys like this. Smart. Um, if they don't have a strong director helping them along, their weaknesses as an actor are going to shine through. And I think, unfortunately, Mr. Harlan 
was less interested in directing performances and more interested in midriffs and butts. The montages and butts I thought I thought Rocky IV had a lot of montages. <laughs> this movie is an endless soundtrack of songs that are all crappy. It's insane. Like I couldn't believe every single scene had a song playing in the background with lyrics and everything. There was no soundtrack to this movie. It was all no. It was like someone had left the radio on for the whole filming. This movie made me hate the early 2000s and I lived through them and I thought they were pretty inconsequential, you know, aside <laughs> from the, you know, the obvious tragedies we had during that decade. But man, this movie really made me hate that decade a little bit. I think it's fair to say Driven was worse than 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> Says the Canadian. Because <laughs> I think it's actually hurt more people. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> oh, goodness. They have a composer listed as... BT. BT. An- another BT. reason to hate the early 2000s. Yeah. He probably doesn't want to be identified. <laughs> did you did you go through the, the numbers yet? Uh, oh, yeah. So it. this movie, in today's money, costs $138 million to make. It's a pretty healthy budget for a race car movie. It made in today's dollars, if it was released today, it would have made 75 million. So it lost half of its butt. So it cost 140 and it lost 75 million. No surprise. It's well, first uh, of all, racing is a very niche crowd. Well, so, interestingly I mean, enough, this film came out the same year as Fast and Furious mm-hmm. part one. Yeah. Wow. They feel years apart, man. Both came out in 2001. So there must have been something. You find that a lot in Hollywood where they have like competing scripts. You see it with like a Bug's Life. And yeah, Ants. That's right. And you saw it with uh, Armageddon and Deep Impact, Wyatt Earp and Tombstone. There's always like a competing script idea. So I think Fast and Furious and Driven might have kind of been that. Because when they were racing, uh, when they took the well, we'll get to that scene where they were racing their race cars down the street. Oh, uh, my God. Right after the montage, we get introduced to Bo Brandenburg and his fiance, and they're having a fight and an argument because Bo that's right with Sophia, who's played by the lovely and unknown Estelle Warren. Who got the Razzie? Won the Razzie for this. 22 nominations. (laughs) That's a record for Sly. (laughs) We're caught in the middle, or we're introduced right in the middle of their fight. And he says in Tommy Wusu's style. This is my life. Well, you've had problems before and you've never acted like this. Things change. Why can't you just respect what I need? You're having a bad season and you're throwing me out of your life? This is my life! This This is not your life! This is what you do for a living. Look, if I'm going to win, I need my mind out there, not here. So right now, this is my life. This is your life. What am I? What am I? Distraction. I'm sorry. Then she goes, what am I? And he goes, a distraction. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they're engaged at this moment. Wait, Ryan's and, not exaggerating the acting right there. It's pretty accurate. No, they break up essentially. This is important because this girl plays a big role in this movie. So right now, Bo has broken up with his fiance Sophia, to focus on racing. He wants to be the champion. That's essentially the storyline right now. Then we kind of go to the next race. Am I right? The, it's race number two. Chicago Motor Speedway. Oh, wow. You actually wrote down the cities. See, Doug, you... Well, not all of them. I, I gave okay. up. 
<laughs> okay. I gave up after this one. Well, now we get introduced to a little bit more the character Jimmy, and he's supposed to be. So Bo is kind of, he looks like a dick. He acts like a dick. That's Bo's character. Now, Jimmy is supposed to be the good guy, the uh, the one that we're supposed to like, the one that we think we're supposed to root for. I think that's what Sylvester Stone was trying to write in the screenplay. He, we see him in the car, and his brother is his manager, or whatever you want to call it. And he has this really bad line here to his brother. He says, you better win this thing or you're going to look like a damn fool. You better win this thing. Win it. Or you're going to look like a damn fool. Is that the support you get from your brother? But how would he look like a fool? He's a rookie racer. Exactly. Right? He's killing it in the standings. If he loses one race in the middle of the season, he's going to look like a fool. You guys watch sports or are very familiar with sports at the very least. And the journey of a season, yeah, you have some bad games. But no one's going to look a damn fool for the rest of their career by having a bad game. Mm-hmm. They give you some exposition, too. The race announcers are very key in this. Clyde drafts up into the vacuum behind Brandenburg's car. But every time he steps out of that vacuum, he runs into a wall of air. That slows him down. That affects his momentum. If you're driving directly behind another car, you're sitting in the vacuum of air, mm-hmm. meaning that you're moving at a good rate because the air is going around you instead of hitting you. But when you move out towards the side, then the wall of air hits you, and that's apparently what makes Jimmy Bly spin out. What I love about these commentators, and I'll say it for the whole movie, every time they commentate about these races, they're talking to us, and maybe rightfully so, but we're supposed to pretend that they are talking to the ESPN viewer mm-hmm. at home in the living room, but they are actually explaining racing to us. <laughs> Ryan, this wasn't on ESPN. This was like on... Um, the Ocho. Oh, yeah, the Ocho, or what was that, TNN, the National <laughs> Network? <laughs> the National Network. I'm a big hockey fan, right, a hockey watcher. But okay. it'd be like me watching every game. Yeah, no kidding. It'd be me like watching every game. So just so you know, when the hockey player has the puck, he's trying to pass it to another player. And sometimes that pass might go outside. And that's what hap- That's how the commentators were talking about racing. They were explaining racing to us. Do you feel like those scenes would have worked without it, though? I don't know. A balance, maybe a little bit of like realism that we're just taking into account that maybe the audience just has seen enough racing to understand that, hey, you're trying to be first place. I don't know. They dummied it down for the average viewer, I guess. And I caught it. I'm not even a race car watcher. So I I thought it was too much. I noticed there were things that bothered me about this movie. That was not one of them. Okay, that's fair. Speaking of Jimmy, when he does spin out of control, there was a scene where he had a vision of his brother, like a ghostly figure, talking to him in the car, saying, oh, you're going to look like a damn fool. Remember that? There was a, do you remember that scene? Yes. And then it says. Yeah, like that's what got into his head. Yes. Like the viewer sees him sitting in the car, but we see like an apparition, like you do in a cartoon made for kids of, of his brother speaking to him you're gonna be a fool and then he does spin out of control and the commentators go spinning out of control why spinning out of control 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 control. (laughs) this is the first five minutes yeah (laughs) this is gonna be a long episode No, this was a, this was a long movie. I stopped this movie and did something else at least six, seven times. I had Guys, to step away. It felt a good thirty minutes shorter than Assassins, though. Can we agree on that? Yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Assassins was a slog for sure. I'll say this about this movie: I normally gauge whether or not 
I like a movie based on that. And it's the fact that there wasn't a point during this movie where I wasn't entertained. Now, take out of the equation whether or not it's good or bad, but this movie never lost my attention, which is the worst thing a movie can do. Okay, that's why I called this Stallone's The Room. I watched it like I would watch a train wreck. I love Sly, but I was actually surprising myself how much I had forgotten how terrible this movie was. Like, I was truly wondering if this was a Mandela effect, that I had seen, maybe in a different universe, I saw the Craig version. You're on a different timeline than I'm on because yeah. what you're saying about this film right now, I thought I was going to be saying until I saw the film. I'm like, this is not what I remembered. And I'm not a strong critic. I'm not one of these snooty, tooty critics. I watched The Bachelor with my wife. Okay. I'm not afraid to watch goofy, stupid stuff. This isn't supposed to be bad at all. This was really bad acting and bad dialogue, bad editing, bad music. I can't even fathom anyone liking this for real. Sorry. I just, I was actually surprised about how badly this was. Well, all I know is it's time to call Joe Tanto. <laughs> time to call Joe Tanto. <laughs> it's time to call Joe Tanto. That was uh, said by Burt Reynolds, of course, who is now pr- Professor X in a wheelchair the whole movie for some reason. Which is never explained. Yes. Because Burt Reynolds was probably like, I'm not going to stand up for this nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing I could gather was, is that Stallone, his character Joe, did something reckless in a race that caused him to be in a wheelchair. Wasn't there that line when they have that big, epic, Razzie-worthy oh, showdown where they're yelling oh, at each good. other? Burt Reynolds is, you threw it all away, and I'm in this chair, and and you're healthy or something like that. That was right. the only bit of dialogue that made me think that there was some kind of story behind him being disabled. I think there was an earlier discussion. It was either with the initial phone call or something hinted at when he was angry at him or something. I'll find it because there's not that many scenes of Sly and Bert talking to each other. I wanted somebody that gets his attention, maybe gains his trust. Why trust? Because you're going to help him, my old friend. Carl, look, I, I got to get something straight. I thought you brought me back here to race. No. I'm gone. No, you're not. I'm not finished yet. We go back. We go way back. I carried you for six years. You owe me, Joe. All you got to do is help this kid. Who knows? You might enjoy it. You got one offer on the table. Where something was said about something reckless or something that caused, like, that's why he owes him. That was the hint. Something about you owe me this or something like this because I'm sitting here and you're up there and you have potential and I don't type thing because I'm stuck in a wheelchair. I, something to that effect. That's why he holds this over Joe, I think. And I got to give some heavy criticism to this character, the Joe Tanto, the Hummer. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, all the backstory we get and about Tanto being a racer who burnt out and potentially has substance abuse issues in his past and is broken. At no point in this movie did I get that from Sly's performance. He seemed completely balanced. He seemed like he completely had his shit together. And it didn't seem like he had any demons in his past that he had to work through. It's probably my biggest criticism of this movie. (laughs) You are a gentleman. (laughs) No, because I think movies, they live and die by their characters, right? But Tanto was just supposed to be this Mr. Miyagi type guy, but he's got this dark backstory and you didn't feel any of it. No, 
I was confused about Joe's role. And one minute he's racing, one minute he's training, one minute he's racing again, the next minute he's training. Like he wasn't even when Bert's character called him and said, Hey, we need you. Stallone's character, Joe, literally packed his bags, thought he was coming to race for Bert. Even me as a viewer, I think I got the impression he was there to train this guy. But he was like, oh, I'm not here to race. I'm here to train this guy. Even Stallone's character was confused about his role in this whole process. Yeah. And then this is basically what creates the need for almost a completely useless Kathy and Memo characters. They only exist really to establish that Joe is replacing somebody. Without them, you lose that all-important teamwork moment where they save memo but memo is worthless there's no bit of his character that has any kind of impact on the story and then tanto's ex-wife kathy has even less she's a royal bitch until her husband gets in an accident and then she's miss congeniality yeah but there's no payoff there's no setup or payoff to that you were talking about the relationship between joe and i don't even know burt reynolds character's name for christ's sakes Carl, the only indication that there was something reckless or wrong with Joe Tanto is when the German guy, I can't remember his name. Come on, man. These characters are so unmemorable. I'm sorry. (laughs) The German guy's name is Bo Brandenburg. So when Joe Tanto shows up, Bo says something to him about him almost killing him, right? Right. So that's the only indication that Joe Tanto was reckless is because he almost killed Bo Brandenburg. I don't know, like five years ago. So they really put you in the car again. Why? All you can do now is get in the way. Somebody must think I got something left. Somebody? Yeah. What do you think? Me, I think it's Willover Skill. Willover Skill, like uh, in Detroit in 97? Accidents happen. Accidents? You almost killed me, John. You know, Bo, I'm just glad I'm back. I really am. And uh, it's a different time. I'm different. You will never be different. Be seeing you in my rear view, Joe. Yeah, and I mean, maybe it was the same race that put Carl, Bert's character, in a wheelchair. But it's really never explained. And I, th- I honestly think they thought that by putting Bert in a wheelchair, it would add some bravado and drama to the movie. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, this is why this movie needed to be like a miniseries. There's too much story. There is Stop. too much story for this movie. I didn't even realize he was in a wheelchair for most of it. (laughs) Uh, Bert says to Sly over the phone, he goes, fear is never gone. Still there? You think you can push it to the ragged edge? Yeah, I think so. And the fear? It's gone. Fear is never gone. Yeah, maybe. So, Joe, I guess he did something that it's never really talked about. Craig might be saying there was some big uh, movie within a movie that happened with this Burt character and Sylvester Stone's character where they did have something happen tragic to Burt's character. He's in a wheelchair. And now Joe has retired from racing because he's afraid. For the first time in my life, I'm afraid, okay? <laughs> I got you. I got the kid. Oh, no. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> So speaking of Rocky quotes, so now we get to a scene that's chronologically, we're not spelling out the movie verbatim here, but we get to the next scene where Stone's character Joe is talking to 
the pretty boy Jimmy Bly, the character that we're supposed to like, and he gives them this Rockyism type quote. This kind of check this out. You'll recognize it when you hear it. I guess Jimmy is feeling down about whatever. He was a emo the whole time. Yeah, but uh, totally yeah. emo. And he was sweating in every scene. <laughs> Did you notice that? Constantly, everyone was sweating. Was it just hot wherever they went? They were sweating at the bar. He was sweating in his hotel room. He was sweating in his room. He was sweating everywhere. I think he actually sweated more outside the car than racing. <laughs> Everybody trips. That's okay. That's life. It's how fast you get up that counts. So get up, Jimmy. But get up fast. Oh, man. That was an oh. early draft of the Rocky Balboa season. He just <laughs> yes! and yes! spent a couple more years. He spent four years tweaking it. <laughs> Stop. It's true, though. <laughs> this came out five years before Balboa. Get up and get up fast. <laughs> Yo, everybody trips. That's okay. That's life. It's how fast you get up. That's accounts. What does he mean, how fast you get up? What? <laughs> uh, he needed to edit it and refine it and make it perfect for Rocky Balboa. Oh, you get it fast. It's a racing movie. Fast. Uh, I, I, I guess. I guess. Anyways, that was the first Rockyism that I caught there. So we already mentioned that he thought he was there to race, but he's he's training. Then he shows off just for poops and giggles his coin trick scene. Do you guys want to talk about the coin trick scene? First of all, we miss a key character. Very key character. There are some. Well, we meet Joe's love interest, Luke. Oh, the, the porter. Oh, yeah. Ultimately, no payoff for. There's no story at the end of the movie no. that publishes. <laughs> no, there's no No, purpose. we see them hold hands, I guess. And during the little, uh, the feeling good montage at the end, they were, they seemed to like each other. I guess. She was played by Stacey Edwards, who sure. we most recently saw in 2014's The Devil's yeah. Hand. Oh, sure. That blockbuster, The Devil's Hand. Let's see if we recognize. Oh, she was a super bad. She played Evan's mom. Oh, uh, what <laughs> <laughs> I remember. She was in uh, uh, doing a lot of TV work now. It looks like. Oh yeah, that would be where you'd find somebody like. Because I actually was going to say she looks like your standard woman on television character <laughs> that could play a, a multitude of the teacher, the neighbor. I mean, she's a working actress. Grey's Anatomy, Castle, Shameless. Yeah, but she hasn't acted since 2015. Oh boy. Yeah, well, she's got the probably that fat driven check came in the mail at the first of the year, and she can take <laughs> off for a year. Yeah, maybe that maybe residual check's got to be some big money. She's making it rain. Yeah, well, I wanted to order this movie on pay per view, but it's so so not requested that I couldn't even find it. I had to get an illegal copy from a listener. Is it Carl? He kind of lays out some exposition for us dummy viewers when we get a glimpse of Joe's ex wife. He says, now that ex-wife appears, that's a piece of work. Divorces you, marries a fellow driver. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure Joe already knows that. That was some of the stiffest exposition. There's 8 million different ways Sly could have done that. And yeah. that's what makes this frustrating, because I read a, a quote from Sly where he said, he wrote about 25 drafts of this film dating back as far as 1997. So it's not like he whipped this up on a weekend while he had nothing better to do. This is something that Sly invested himself in and took the trouble to write 25 drafts. But the original script was 220 pages long. <laughs> yeah, it was a four-hour movie. Like, what? <laughs> a four-hour movie. And there was 51 minutes of deleted footage on the DVD. 
as we I, speak right now, Matt is Matt is going yeah, crazy. Matt, <laughs> Matt, Matt, our only listener right now live. Matt, just so you know, there's a cut out there that's four hours long. It's your your mission is sh- shall you choose to accept it? Find that four hour cut. <laughs> Godspeed, Matt. Oh man, we'll never see him again. <laughs> we meet the ex-wife, and she comes up to Joe, Kathy. So Kathy comes up to Joe and goes, Well, 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 well. So? What about me? Hmm? How do I look? Or do you still hate answering loaded questions? <laughs> oh, my God. It was embarrassing. It's like, Wait, go ahead, you... ask me. Go ahead, ask me. You love him? I love a lot of things. Why'd you have to marry him? He's a younger, better you. <laughs> Again, don't blame Gina Gershon for the shitty dialogue that Sly gave her. No, I and love her. I think she's a great actress. She's got that great line at that party scene where she thinks Sly is trying to make a move on the journalist. Mm-hmm. And she goes, Joe, if you don't get it by midnight, you're probably not going to get it. And even if you do, I don't think it's going to be worth it. Just an observation. Yeah. No. Oh <laughs> yeah, she was brutal. <laughs> nobody would tolerate that kind of poison for that long. There's nobody that's really that evil in real life. That's a succubus. No, the way but, she is. but again, guys, I think we're missing the fact that she's probably like this because Joe Tanto was such a terrible human being that put everybody in his life through hell. This is the fault of Stallone the writer and Stallone the actor for not illustrating what was wrong with Joe Tanto and all of the other characters in this movie suffer from it and the viewers (laughs) (laughs) and us namely you say what you want about Rennie Harlan he's made some great classic movies this is not one of them well cliffhanger deep blue sea deep blue sea I saw the theater like four times the problem is I don't think Rennie Harlan cared enough to hold Stallone's feet to the fire here and make him justify some of the shit he was doing as a writer. This four-hour cut, I wonder. I wonder if there was a movie that was worth salvaging in there and it was an editing issue. You know what I mean? Like, I wonder, had it been edited better? We don't know. Was Sly still a pain in the ass to work for or work with at this point? (laughs) He was about to enter some really lean years. He had just made... I think he was in the thick of some really lean years. Yeah, I think he was. I think this might have been one of his few... theatrical releases in the 2000s after copland he made ants and detox get carter and then driven and then he made avenging angelo spy kids three and shade before rocky balboa in 2006 he was definitely humbled here and i know that sly sort of based this story on the fact that you can't always be number one you know and, and he tried to create like a metaphor between acting and racing yes there's a last line, Joe to Jimmy, where he said, enjoy this moment when he won the championships. Listen, enjoy this. It doesn't last long. That was that autobiographical moment that Stallone himself and his career had kind of reached a, you know, from the 70s and 80s. Now he's in the late 90s, early 2000s. He's not the box office champion anymore. And he's speaking to that through this dialogue. It's supposed to be a passing of a torch to a younger actor. It's embarrassing that now a 72-year-old Stallone is a much bigger actor than this Kip Pardue. Did you guys ever see, um, I believe the movie was called 
the rules of attraction. Mm-hmm. It yep. was like James Vanderbeek was in it. Do you remember Kip Pardue in it? No, 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 I don't. Do you remember the scene where the guy's telling the story about traveling through Europe? That's Kip Pardue, and it's amazing. It's like a little mm. movie within the movie. He did okay in it? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very memorable, I see. Yeah. Right after we meet the ex-wife, we meet Mimo or Memo. Memo. Memo? Memo. Wait, before we even get to Memo, does this whole quarter scene, does this mean anything? Oh, no. no, it's just one of those quirky Stallone cutting the pizza with scissors, whatever <laughs> other corny nonsense he puts into movies to make his characters quirky. Which is also supposed to make the kid kind of in awe of him, right? Because he's flipping these quarters out of the car. The kid is like, oh, what is he doing? And everybody's like, oh, wait till you see this. Yeah, he's going to pick them up with his back tire, not his front. What's he doing? He's just wound up, doing his coin bit or relaxing. What's his coin bit? He's going to hold a controlled slide going full out, and then he's going to drift over and pick up three coins. Not with the front tire, mind you. Any fool can do that. But he'll slide over, snatch him up with the back one, and not lose a millisecond of speed. No, there's no way he can do that. You don't want to bet. Picks up with the back tire and the turn. And the as you know, the tires of, of these cars get very hot, and they get melted rubber. So when he goes over the coin, it picks up the coin, it gets sucked into the tire. And he does it three times. I love how these guys, like 100 feet away, can spot him catching the quarter. Like, oh, they got, yeah, he got that's the first one. quarter. There's number one. That's two. There's number two. Yeah. And then he starts humming. That's where the humming scene comes in because he's about to go over the edge to get the third one. Because I guess that one was placed in the hardest position of the three. And I love how at the end, he doesn't even bother checking the tire completely Mm -hmm. that he's got all three because the third one is behind the tire. He has to rotate it. And Bert's character says, hey, rotate the tire. And there's the third quarter indeed. But we see Joe walking away from the car without even verifying himself that he had all three. He was so certain. Yeah. Do you think those quarters would be in pristine condition or would they have been ground down to like a flat surface? Honestly, I think they would have been sucked into the rubber without being uh, flattened anymore. No, well, the CG that. artist didn't know what purpose they were serving, right? He just <laughs> was yeah. like saying, so I got to create CGI quarters. I don't know why, but I'll go ahead and do it. Can you imagine that phone call? So we're going to have a scene here where we're going to flip a quarter. You know, I'm going to have bird's eye view order over this scene and a quarter will be flipped. Okay, cool. So I need you to make a quarter. <laughs> but like a CGI quarter, we can just get one from the prop department. Maybe just get a larger size version of a quarter that we could like, you know, properly just film. But can you imagine we could just film a quarter flipping and land it on the ground? No, no, no. It's got to be CGI. No, but if you get a real quarter, it would look real. Like you wouldn't have to pay money. You could just zoom in on the quarter hitting the ground you don't have to spend a dollar in fact it'll cost you a quarter it's got to be cgi and you have 15 minutes because you know Rennie harlan was like guys i'm pretty sure this is my last big budget hollywood movie i'm getting my cgi quarter <laughs> check out memo's first line so we had the first line from kathy was well well how do i look Watch this movie thinking it's the room, Stallone's version of the room, and you will get me. You might have some fun. This would be a fun viewing party movie. That's why I called this the room. I think if I would watch this with you guys and we were watching it together, I would have had a great time watching by, by myself, which is what the room is like. Watching that movie by yourself, it's horrible, but with friends, it's fun. So Memo says, Look at you. Hey, you. Sorry. He goes, <laughs> he goes Hey, look at you. Hey, you been good? Memo. Hey. 
Look at you. Have you been good? Huh? <laughs> I love his impressions. Sorry, I suck. But <laughs> that was the line. The actual line was, look at you. Hey, you been good? <laughs> I know. I, I don't know. Progressives is this little memo threatens to divorce his wife in order to make Joe happy. And then he offers to marry Joe. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. we should make it known to our listeners who haven't seen the movie. Memo and Joe are good friends, but Memo has married Joe's ex-wife, Kathy. And which is crazy because Joe is even more cordial and funny and nice guy than Joe ever would be. And Joe's a pretty even-killed guy, but Memo is just like a goofy, easygoing. Even his wife, Kathy, Joe's ex-wife, seems to tolerate and allow him to have this friendship with her ex-husband. The heart wants what it wants. Memo seems like a good guy, which means he's going to die. Yeah, yeah. We'll get <laughs> or do something incredibly stupid for no reason. This is me who's never seen this movie before. Yeah, and that call. was my initial instinct, was that he was going to die. And I knew there was a big crash coming up, but I couldn't remember if he died or not. But yeah, you knew that his character, he's too innocent to escape this Game of Thrones type movie. <laughs> <laughs> We go to this race that uh, Memo's in as well, and everyone's in it. Joe's in it, I think, too. Who does Jimmy show up to the race with? That's right. We missed that. For, again, for our listening audience who hasn't has seen this movie, there was a scene at a bar between one of these races where Sophia, who's now broken off her engagement with Bo, is now making the moves and flirting with Billy, the sweet kid, who's you know an opponent of Bo's. And now she's jumped ship and is now trying to date and get into the pants of uh, Billy. Mm-hmm. And they seem to have a kind of a flirty, fun f- relationship, friendship, but they never consummated it on screen or otherwise. Uh, Who the hell's Billy? Billy is the uh, terrible actor, Kip Pardue. That's who's Jimmy. The boy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Jimmy, Billy, same thing. <laughs> See? It's hard, right? Yeah. So my apologies. Jimmy. Everything I said about Billy was Jimmy. That was the uh, the, <clears throat> the character we're supposed to be rooting for. For some reason, I have yet to find anything endearing about this guy, whether his character, his look, his acting, his constant sweat. Mm-hmm. Jimmy's brother is pretty much just kind of looking out for him, but he's a huge dick to Sophia the whole movie. Yeah. Which I don't think is warranted. No. Yeah. What is she doing here? It's all right to know. No, no, no. This is very not all right. Brandenburg's whatever waltzes into your life by accident. <laughs> whatever. Hi, I'm Sophia. That's your problem. Demille, come on. Again, he's the bad guy. He's like George Washington Duke of Rocky Five. He has nothing but greed on his mind. He's using his brother to finance his life or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's a scene then, speaking of Sophia and Jimmy, where they're at a hotel and there's a pool. And some of the worst dialogue in movie history. This is exposing Della Warren's swimming skills. Yep. That's right. She was a synchronized swimmer. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, in real life. Renny Harlan, you want to wear a swimsuit for me? Let's put you in the pool. A real flattering one piece. Yeah, a one piece. <laughs> like, come on, the one time we could have used a bikini. Like, seriously. But he asked her, where did she learn how to do that? And she says, I was raised by frogs. Is that the line you were talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, ribbit, ribbit. Come on. Okay, come on. This is coming here. Come here. Just give me a second. <laughs> Sorry. I'm jumping all over your bit there. What are you doing? Swimming. Swimming. That's swimming to you, huh? <laughs> I don't think that's swimming. That's uh, it's a little beyond. I've never seen anything like that. Pretty fantastic. Where'd you learn how to do that? I, uh, 
I was raised by frogs. <laughs> raised by frogs. Rabbit. 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 <laughs> well, I'm glad you escaped. Oh, thank you. And I guess we're supposed to find the funny that she made the sound of a frog. Like look at a like she's a playful girl. Right. I don't I don't know. I don't know. But then we have this crazy scene right after where for no apparent reason, I don't understand. Joe is mm-hmm. like friends with everybody. He's friends with Billy and with Bo. It's not and Billy, it's Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> he's friends with Jimmy and he's friends with he seems to be friends with everybody in, in the circuit. Yeah. And but he, he so he goes and tells Bo to get Sophia back, take her back as his fiance, and get him away from Jimmy. While you're in this rare good mood, why don't you do yourself a favor? What's that? Take her back if she wants you back. Stay out of my business, so what are you doing? Hey, I'm just talking. I mean, you do want her back, right? Why do you care? You two guys, you have a lot of history. That doesn't go away so fast. I pushed her away, Joe. I know, but you weren't thinking right. <laughs> I wasn't thinking at all. You know, it's, uh, it's really hot when you... I see it with him. What was his reasoning for that? Because Jimmy was his racing hadn't really been affected by Sophia, but he's telling Bo, you know what? This girl's good for you. Yeah, I thought this was a weird exchange between the two of them because Joe seems like he's submarining his teammate, but is he really just looking out for Bo because Bo is throwing away something good for racing? Bo wanted the the engagement off because he wanted to focus on racing. Now, you can criticize that reason, but that was his reason. He didn't want to be engaged with this girl anymore. Would make sense that Joe tells him, like, look, you're being stupid. This is, you know, racing isn't, is just sure. for now, but, you know, your girl's forever. What you just said there was better than any dialogue we heard throughout the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That was great reasoning. That would have made sense. That kind of conversation would have made sense. Yeah, but it's never laid out that way. Like I said, it seems like Joe is submarining his own teammate. Joe says, hey, Bo. Hey, Bo, if this is about pride, you better forget it. Because that's how the whole thing started. What whole thing? What whole thing? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. And then then Bo says, what would you do? Me? To get someone back that I really love? To get that rock out of my stomach, I'd crawl. Oh, yeah. Crawl. (laughs) Bo said... You'd crawl. Crawl. Joe, you never crawl. Yeah, I crawl until there was nothing left. Come on, champ. Use your head. What? Stallone wrote this. I would crawl until there's nothing left. <laughs> what? This is a horrible dialogue. But it's, it doesn't it, make sense. But it doesn't make sense. I don't. I don't know what they're talking about. I don't understand. I know. The last time we saw them two interact, it was in antagonistic, right? Right. This whole exchange, Bo is laughing at the whole crawl thing until there's nothing left. It seems lighthearted, like they're friends now. <laughs> Who are we rooting for? Here? I, I have no know. idea. So now we're rooting for the idea that we want to see this relationship break off again and have this girl, you know, she's being tossed to and from. She has gone between these guys in this movie. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't want to say anything derogatory, but I did find the dialogue here about the swimming. Jimmy asked Sophia when they're swimming, what are you doing? What are you doing? Swimming. Swimming. That's swimming to you, huh? <laughs> I don't think that's swimming. That's uh, it's a little beyond. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> he goes. I've never seen anything like that. 
I've never seen anything like that. Pretty fantastic. Where'd you learn how to do that? I, uh, I was raised by frogs. <laughs> raised by frogs. Rabbit. 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 <laughs> well, I'm glad you escaped. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh. And then she goes, thank you. Jimmy, what's on your mind? Jimmy, what's on your mind? <laughs> oh, my God. It's almost like, I didn't hit there. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. That's exactly what this feels like, that tempo and dialogue. Let me ask you a question. Did Craig bail out of this because he knew <laughs> that this was worth <laughs> it? I was wondering. I have our camera minimized. I didn't see that. I was like, why is Craig be so quiet? And he has gone. <laughs> Craig has left the building. <laughs> <laughs> I just see that now. I had her. I had her camera minimized. I didn't see that. I just thought he was being. Boy, he's being really quiet. He'll chime back in. Something must have popped up. <laughs> oh, there he is. Craig, welcome back. <laughs> welcome back to the show. You my, missed my, nothing. My internet didn't appreciate all the bashing, so it took a. It took a dump. <laughs> we just summoned you. This was your vote, by the way. And by the way, we, this was our first tiebreaker. We had to have a tiebreaker recount between. This and the Lords of Flatbush. I think I would have had a much more enjoyable time watching Lords of Flatbush than Driven. But by the way, I want to put everybody who voted for Driven on notice because you <laughs> bastards aren't even here to see this live. Yeah. Where are you? <laughs> yeah, you put us to the ringer. You better listen to or download our episode. I got to say this, guys. I know there's podcasts out there that have covered Lords of Flatbush. This is quite possibly a historic moment. This might be the first podcast that's ever devoting this much time or any time to the movie Driven. <laughs> any time. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I think we put more thought and consideration into this film than was put into the film during the filming. This is an absolute disaster. So what did uh, I miss? We just read through the quotes of the ribbit ribbit. We found it. And the mm-hmm. uh, dialogue that Bo and Joe had trying to where Joe tells Bo, get your girl back, get your mm-hmm. girl back. And we're just trying to figure out the reasoning behind that. Do you have any insight to why Joe was telling Bo to get the girl back? This is another instance where Stallone is going to show his complete and utter incompetence in handling story beats. (laughs) We're probably seeing this happen to Joe Tanto and Tanto let Kathy get away and whatever happened to him happened. So he's having lived through this. He's trying to convince Bo that. Sophia is not the problem mm-hmm. and she's possibly the part of the solution. Okay. Okay. If only that was expressed. Yeah. If only that was somehow dialogued, that would have been amazing. Well, when um, Matt finds the four hour cut for us and you watch it and you turn around and say, guys, this is a unheralded masterpiece. We'll have that discussion. I think Matt's even left. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I, I guarantee you Matt's still watching, but he's falling asleep. I'm calling you on that. You fall asleep because it's late for him. It's uh, 12 o'clock at night. We'll say for you, Doug. You okay? You hanging in there? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Sh- should we get to um, the uh, the prototype party? Well, <laughs> yeah, because, well, yeah. So it's important that we brought in that conversation with Bo, Joe and Bo, because now Bo at this prototype, look into the future of these vehicles party. It's a gala event that they're supposed to dress in formal wear. And of course, our hero, Joe Tan- Tanto, Tonto, Joe is just wearing his normal clothes, man. He He's too cool for school. He brought a, a bow tie, but he has it in his pocket. It's not even done up that's how cool he is nothing i have nothing to say i have nothing to say about this whole like kathy i guess that's her name comes in and talks shit to luke who's now joe's 
romantic interest. Yeah. Earlier today, you said that Jimmy has to find it off the tracks. What do you mean by that? There we go with the questions, questions, questions. You gotta find that quiet spot. Because you go racing and your mind's not right, you will get torn apart. So you better buckle up. It's gonna be a bumpy ride. <laughs> I can't believe that line still works. You know, you know, this is either very unprofessional or naive. Or she swallowed some of your bullshit and loved the taste. Where's Memo? Replacing you. Working his way down. Look but they have this where we get the great line. We get Joe. If you don't get it by midnight, you're probably not gonna get it. And even if you do, I don't think it's gonna be worth it. Just an observation. God, I hope Stallone took the rest of the day off after he wrote that line. <laughs> he dropped the mic. He dropped the pen. And he was just like, print it. He's like, hey, yo, it's only 10 o'clock, but uh, it's about as good as it's going to get today. What were those other 24 drafts? So what about the, the exchange in the bathroom between <coughs> Kathy and Luke when they talk shit to each other? What a coincidence. <laughs> was this a little experiment for you or something? Dark chapter you can tell your friends about. Maybe you like being manhandled. That I can understand, but it's the being dumb part that's kind of a drag. So you were just used and abused. Was that attitude? Hmm. Saucy. Good for you. And next time I'm around, look at him. He ain't over it. Your mascara's running. They were just very catty with each other just the ex-wife getting mad at the girlfriend dating her ex-husband i love how the ex-wife is allowed to like literally be remarried but joe can't have a girlfriend right but Luke, yeah you know she gets the last word because she says your mascara's running and then run, rubs her own eye with her middle finger yes like clever oh yeah scratching yourself with the middle finger oh that's brutal that's yeah. that's uh, that's the I biggest know. burn in history cuts deep oh so there's a reporter. This is one of the funniest scenes in the whole movie. And I, I, I truly I party. <laughs> Would you stop? Don't, don't say it. Wait. So a reporter, a reporter tracks down Jimmy, you know, he goes, nerd. he goes, okay, quickly. If you win a championship, what would be the first thing that you do? I, I don't know. Really? Well, I, I throw a party. <laughs> what, the? what are we doing here? <clears throat> I can't remember. Stallone wrote this. Why didn't he just say buy a house? Oh man, I would travel the world. I would must be overwhelming to think what you do with that money. But you know, what about travel the world? Where what part of the world would you like to see? But the reporter just like chimes in. Oh, I would, I would throw a party. I can't understand that either. So Sophia goes back to Bo. Mm-hmm. Jimmy throws Whoa. a hissy fit. We should say this party was to announce or showcase these futuristic top-of-the-line racing cars. There happened to be two of them. And not only were they on display, but they both had keys in them and fuel ready to be driven out at any moment. If someone decided on the off chance, somebody could have just jumped in the vehicle. Lo and behold, it happens. I was going to say, a lot of times we ask Doug for his law enforcement experience. And here is a case where I actually have some experience for this scene. Because here in Las Vegas, I don't know if we've talked about it, I work in the convention business. A lot of times we're on the convention floor dealing with displays. And sometimes companies will bring vehicles in. And there are a strict set of rules 
from the fire marshal related to how you can display vehicles in order to maintain safety during exhibitions. Right. And one of them is the amount of fuel you're allowed to have in the car. Sure. And then also once placed, the battery is to be disconnected. Wow. Now, I'm not sure how these prototypes work, but I'm, I know they ran on fuel, not gas, mm -hmm. fuel. Sorry, my apologies. <laughs> Which will play into um, the, the movie a little bit later. Aside from just leaving the keys in these prototypes, any fire marshal worth his salt wouldn't have allowed these cars to be on display the way they were. I also read that these particular Formula One style race car doesn't start with a key. The ignition that the driver turns on, it's like started in the back by a crew member. You have to start the engine up by hand. Yeah, like a lawnmower or something. Something like that, yeah. We hear Kip Pardue like, Turn the ignition, though, don't we? Sure. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Yeah. So now that we understand there's these two cars on display that everyone's ooing and awing over, Jimmy sees that Sophia has made the decision at this gala event to go back to her fiancé, and he accepts her coming back, and he's asked for her to come back. So now they're a happy couple again. Well, actually, like, he, he proposes to her. Reproposes, that's oh, correct, yeah. yes. Gives her a ring back. Oh, it basically, they have a little like Beverly Hills 90210 uh, little scr scruff fight, and he jumps into the car and he speeds off. Joe, seeing a distraught young man speed off in a prototype race car into the streets of uh, the city streets, figures, well, I've got to stop him because he might hurt somebody or hurt himself. So he jumps into the uh, second race car, and they have a a race car. CGI disaster race through the streets of what city was this again? I don't remember. Chicago. Okay. I hated every <laughs> second of it. Every single second. <laughs> I hated, hated it. Yes, I agree. Okay. There's nothing Even when the skirt it. got blown up and you saw the girl's butt. All right. So there was one second that I liked. Yeah. Those who haven't seen the movie, the idea these cars are going so fast and causing so much disruption in the air that when they're going by newsstands and they're going by people's clothes, the clothes get torn off and they're they're causing basically sonic booms everywhere they drive. So they're driving at such a velocity and veracity throughout the city. There is no way at the speeds and the distance they go that they would not have gone to an accident. There's just, it's impossible to drive anywhere that fast for any amount of time in any major city. But also, they would have been in California hour. by the time they were done, right? <laughs> right so, yeah, they were the going 195 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. That's insane. That's insane. Because we get the Our scene where the, the motorcycle cop or the, the cops got his radar gun out. And yeah. he needs to use the radar to determine they're going too fast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, right. Doug, uh, I have to ask. You're a cop, right? Uh, <laughs> as always, yes. Okay. Just like last time. So the traffic cop sees these two race cars. So let's pretend you're on traffic duty. I know you don't do that anymore, but pretend you're on traffic duty and your job is the radar gun, which you've done, I'm sure, in your career. Sure. You see the 195, zoom, zoom, two streetcars. This was traffic cop's voice report to his uh, desk mate or whoever he talks to. I need backup. Uh-huh. Okay. You what would be a better police report than I need backup? Because as far as I'm on the other end of this radio call, I'm like, uh, for what? For what? Yeah. Yeah. Are you in a shooting? Uh, is there a multi-vehicle accident? Do we have some a heart attack? Do you need a bus called? What's the situation here? So he just says, I need backup. Mm -hmm. 
So what would you have said in real life? If you saw two race cars, what would be the voice report? I'm curious. I would say I just clocked two cars going at 195 past me, southwest, down route, whatever, in this direction. And I then, need backup. <laughs> you say I need backup. Look, there's no way that that guy, I don't care what he's riding, a motorcycle, police car, whatever, is going to catch them. No, so you're probably radioing to the next precinct over saying they're coming in your direction. Get ready. And there's so no I'm, payoff for it either. None. No, none. I was expecting, having not seen this in 17 years, I really thought the race ended when they got out of the car and they were surrounded by cop cars. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, instead the scene just cuts away and to the next we get race. a reference that they were fined. They were fined yeah. $25,000. That's it. They got That's to it. do all that damage. They caused. They actually caused city damage. Yeah. Bus stops are broken. Yep. Uh, newsstands were torn apart. A girl was uh, sexually assaulted by the wind. I mean, every, <laughs> every manhole covers off. Yeah, manhole covers were. I mean, every. <laughs> but we again, we get some classic, <laughs> Rocky yes. inspired dialogue yes. from Joe Tanto here, giving his advice to the young Jimmy Bly. Um, this is hold on. This is going to make me cringe because this might have been the worst of the worst. Okay, so this is the faith one. Yeah. Okay. I hate this one. <laughs> I mean, I don't have your gift, but I do have a couple of things that you don't have. I got will and I got faith. Boy, don't laugh. I'm serious. <laughs> because I believe you can will yourself in anything, do anything. And faith, that's like believing in something. Really? <laughs> no, duh. <laughs> Water, it's like wet, okay? <laughs> and faith, that is like believing in something. Man, that's like having a good disease. It's contagious. If you hang around with people that have it, you're going to catch it. That's going to change your attitude. And winning, it's an attitude. So if you trust me, no, if you trust yourself, by the end of the season, you'll either be on top or you won't. But I guarantee you, you're going to know what Jimmy Bly is really made of. <laughs> That's contagious. It's contagious. If you hang around with people who have it, you're going to catch it, and it's going to change your attitude. I, You know, like he writes these speeches yeah. for rocky and these the speeches for rocky are memorable you hear a speech like this you want to get up and you want to go conquer the world but this does nothing for me nothing i got will and i got faith and if you have aids other people have aids too it's contagious i don't, <laughs> I don't get it i don't understand what are you trying to say what message is that trying to say i don't know i don't know because it, it, it goes from faith to uh attitude at the end so i don't know he was basically saying believe in yourself and when you believe in yourself you can do anything well why don't he just say that he had to do 200 laps to get there but it's a good disease (laughs) (laughs) if the rest of stallone's movies that we haven't covered yet are like this i'm done (laughs) i'm out (laughs) guys it could be it could be it could be much worse. We could be sitting here talking about avenging Angelo. <laughs> Are we going to get to that? Is that going to be one of ours? Oh, it's got to be, right? I've already reviewed it for my show, but to be fair, Craig's already reviewed things for his show that he's done twice. I haven't. Uh, I know. I just it's, it's a painful movie. But again, I'd rather watch Avenging Angelo than this one. I'll be honest with you right now. Ooh. I'll tell you right now, if that ever gets wow. nominated, I will personally fly to New Jersey or Canada to personally come and slap you dual style (laughs) 
<laughs> it's gonna be For thrown subjecting in. me to that nonsense. That, that's that should, should be our swan song. That should be like no, the last one. I actually ran this, but then I run the one two bunch of party and pity and studs. That's right. The last, the last that's right. The last episode of our of our crossover podcast will be party of kidding studs. I think it's the only way to end this show. Will no be pen. party of kidding studs. The race in the rain. Yeah, the, that's right. So they're in Germany. I remember it was Germany, and they kept talking about the weather. I wonder if that was a foreshadow. But this well, now, and they had the rain tires too. So yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Naturally, Joe gets benched for Memo. Memo's back. That's right. So Memo's in. Joe gets benched. Joe, spoiler alert, he gets third place overall the the last championship race because it's done by points. And I'm confused. Oh, that, he spun how, across the finish line. Yeah, but I'm confused. How? Yeah, so he got third overall for the year for the season, but he didn't race the whole season. How did he get third place overall? Beats me. Because Jimmy, spoiler, wins the championship year, but he didn't win every race. The reason why he won is because, yeah, he won the last race, but he got the most points throughout the season. Yeah, so how did Joe get enough points to be third overall? Yeah, the whole ranking system seemed weird. Okay, so I wasn't just lost. It wasn't just me. No, I I didn't even realize that, to be honest. So It was done by a point system. It's it's almost like 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 any basketball season or baseball season. You you have some good games, some bad, but overall you're going to have the most points at the end. You win. But some races are worth more than others points, right? So it's best to win the final race, but you can, I guess, still be first place if you get second, but, you, but you're first place everywhere else, but you still got first place overall because of your point system. Yeah, I mean, because going into that final race, and we have another race to talk about first, Jimmy didn't even qualify, or he he qualified, he tied for 10th, but if he won, he was going to win the whole season. Is it like, what do you call it, the snitch and? What do you call that Harry Potter game? The Quidditch. The Quidditch. If you catch that flying ball, you win automatically. Almost. I, I, I would have been pretty angry if I was Bo. Well, he got the girl. At the yeah. End. The main event for this race in Germany was Me- Memo was driving. His crash that he has was it was incredible. It, it was, was like World, World War Three explosion. If the, if driven had a sequel, we'd have two guys in a wheelchair rolling around. So here's the thing that doesn't make sense to me. Memo is like the nicest guy in the world, and Memo and Joe basically work on this team to enhance Jimmy. Mm-hmm. But maybe because of Kathy's influence, Memo decides he's going for the win. I lost track of trying to keep who's playing for who, who's on whose team, who is representing what cause. So, yeah, Memo decides, I'm going to win this thing, yay. And then he crashes, the fire crash. So he goes into the ocean or this lake. No, you, you have to talk about, about him launching like a <laughs> missile through the air. Oh, yeah, and it goes through the trees. The same projectile car on fire goes into the trees, lands in the lake. Then uh, Jimmy, being a true hero, he spins off the track. He goes backwards, and then he he drives and jumps out of his car and does a heroic save, but it's not enough. He's not strong enough to lift the car out of the water to get his drowning friend out of the water. And so Bo is like, well, damn it, I, I got to help. Well, you know, Sophia we tells him to go help. But he did it. You know, he did it. They lift the car off him to pull him out, and then the car explodes again because of the leaking endless fuel that seems to be spilling out of this car. I like how the announcers – don't even reference the driver's name at that point. They're like, they better get that driver out of there. The announcers couldn't even be bothered to remember Memo's name at that point. That's because they didn't get the memo. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> Dad. 
I wear my dad badge proud. <laughs> this explosion happens. And keep this explosion in mind. Do you guys remember how big that explosion was? It was huge. It was like now, out of a Michael Bay movie. Yes. Yep. It's like Michael Bay was on set for a day visiting his Rennie Harlan friend. Said, hey, you want to make this explosion big? Okay, let's do it. They're now in the hospital. Memo's on the bed. He's alive. Thank goodness. Just a couple little burn marks, but he's paralyzed from the waist down, I think. But what's crazy is there's a scene after they all give their condolences to Memo, and Joe is now looking at the car wreck. Did you guys see that? Mm-hmm. Well, how is that car even in any kind of peace? Yeah. After the explosion. Yes. Would be, that explosion yeah. would have ter- torn it to paper shreds. Right. We still had paint on this thing. That was a nuclear explosion. Mm. Why was it so close to the hospital? <laughs> why was it? You're, you're trying to make sense out of this. I, I don't know why. But I love how they brought in this birdie vessel of a car like to the hospital garage. Like, you know, after we're done working on the driver, let's see if we can fix the car. Like, yeah, Either one of you guys noticed the glaring continuity error where at the start of the next race, they show Jimmy, Joe, and Bo – walking and the announcer calls all three of them heroes for going to save memo yeah, joe Jimmy wasn't involved in that rescue Jimmy. at all yeah no joe he got there was. when they're already out he just looked really good in the rain looking forward <laughs> let's not skip over the part where carl is going to fire jimmy and try to sign Bo to his team i want you to be the first to know i'm terminating the kid's contract I don't think he's the real deal. I don't think he's mentally tough enough. I don't think he's adult enough. Getting out of a car in the middle of a race. Save the man's life. I'm not here to debate with you. Gonna go for Brandenburg next year. What are you doing, Carl? Whatever it takes to win. His brother know? Brother is brokering the deal. Well, don't do this. It's done. Then undo it. Oh, you suddenly can't. Don't kill him off. Don't kill him off. So now at this point, now Carl's the asshole. He's the bad guy, right? Right. Another thing that's glossed over and never addressed again. Carl right. has like the Ricky Bobby philosophy where if you're not first, you're last. Mm-hmm. Because apparently Jimmy finishing second on the season would be a complete and utter failure. So he's got to completely wash this kid out. <laughs> it's remarkable. And that's when we'll get to the scene where Burt Reynolds' big Oscar speech scene. I watched you kill yourself, and you had everything, and you threw it all away, and I had to sit there and watch the slowest man in the fastest sport. I wake up every morning, and my legs are on fire. I know I'm going to have to sit in this chair for the rest of the day, but if they gave me one more chance, I'd do it all over again. It ain't going to happen. We are all damaged. Yes. I've got an excuse. You don't, do you? <laughs> Terrible. This is awful. The nominees are Burt Reynolds for Driven. There was probably a part of Burt's little brain there where he thought that he was given some sort of performance here that may just sneak into a performance worthy of an Academy Award. It felt like that. We weren't this- that many removed from Boogie Nights, which he got nominated for. So he's probably feeling pretty high here about his acting career. Burt Reynolds is a monster, but somehow he sucks here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was horrible. It was almost like, hey, look, I'm an actor acting. But dude, he can 
act his ass off. This is the best that Rennie Harlan can get out of him? Nah. I don't think Rennie cared. I really don't think Rennie cared. And if the director doesn't care, the actor's not going to care unless they're like the guy that makes all those Paul Thomas Anderson movies that's retired now uh, that played Abe Lincoln. Daniel Day-Lewis? Yeah, Daniel (laughs) Day-Lewis. I love there's a sequence here before the final race where all the racers are saying goodbye to their families <laughs> and packing pictures into their clothes, family photos into their clothes, like they're going to war. Oh, but my I- goodness. And you know that when Sly wrote this and when Rennie shot it and whoever edited this edited it, they thought they were doing something that was going to make people in the theater have an emotional <laughs> moment. There were some real racers did cameos for this. I read that that was their real pre-race rituals. Yeah, remember the end of Gladiator, which came out a year before this? Talk about, think about this for a second. Gladiator came out in 2000, directed by Ridley Scott, starring Russell Crowe. One of the best movies ever made. I freaking love the music, the acting, Mm -hmm. the story. The CGI. The CGI, even in 2000, was just so much better than this pile of garbage. And this came out a year before Driven, right? So, in theory, like the technology was a year behind. And there's a sequence there at the end where he's going to his family. You know the scene where he's going to his family in the afterlife? Yeah. That's, that is editing. That is music. That is acting where you're like, you feel the power, the love for family. Then you skip to Drippin. <laughs> you can't compare 2001 Rennie Harlan to 2000 era Ridley Scott, who was at the peak of his powers in terms of his ability as a director. But that's it's- what's actually really amazing, though, is that – to make a movie is a talent. You can say that I like to play basketball. If I'm dribbling the ball, see guys, look, I like to play. I can make a couple hoops. And then uh, LeBron James comes over to me and says, well, I like to play too. And then I'm just <laughs> destroyed. But there's still the same activity. There's a movie being made here, but there's just two different levels of results. Yeah. Well, the problem is that a director is supposed to have, Every answer, even if they don't know the right answer. And I feel like the further along Rennie Harlan got in his career, the less he cared about having any answer to any question and was more focused on photographing midriffs and butts and explosions and couldn't be bothered with a lot of the important aspects of filmmaking. And I, yeah. And again, I mean, this is the guy that made Cliffhanger. So we know when he's focused and, and driven that he can oh, turn in. That's what he did there. <laughs> he can turn in a quality movie. But again, I'm not sure who you ultimately put the blame on for uh, how a lot of people feel about this movie. And Stallone. I hate I hate to say it, but it does have to be Stallone and his 25 drafts. I don't think yeah. you can outact or outdirect a awful an awful script. No. And we've talked about this before where Stallone, I know he never listens to our show anyways. I'm not ragging on him because he is. Because we know what he can do. We know what he's capable of. And this goes so, and I know he has already stated for the record that this is one of a few films, and a few of them we've already covered, one of them being Stopper Mum will shoot, that he wishes he never done. He makes no bones about it. He wishes he never made this film. He wishes us three were not talking about this film. He wishes it didn't exist. And yet here it is, right? We know that he can write Rocky, that he wrote Creed 2, that he can write this stuff. Uh, he did the screenplay for Cliffhanger as well. So I, it's weird when any kind of artist or actor doesn't 
whatever that zeitgeist is that they tap into to, to create these masterpieces, it's almost sad. It's not their fault. I guess it's almost just being human. I guess there's only so much gold in every mine. I don't know. It speaks to the collaborative nature of filmmaking. And for, let's say, a creed, he had a Ryan Coogler, who is probably one of the most talented young filmmakers working today. Yeah. And it takes a village to make a movie. Mm-hmm. And if Stallone isn't 100% invested in something, it's probably really hard to get everybody else invested. One of the things I love about all of our individual podcasts is we're all huge Stallone fans. Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that you just go into complete hero worship mode. A true fan of anything should be able to objectively look at the thing that they like and acknowledge when it's crap. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they have the race, the final race. First place was Jimmy. Second place was both. Third place was Joe. And they started from the rear of the pack and they tag teamed it. And they didn't really illustrate this too much, but there was that moment where they're like at the diner or a restaurant and Jimmy's like explaining like a passing move to Joe. So I'm going to come around here and turn seven. I'm drafting off Brandon. We're going to fake outside a little bit right here. Now eight's a tough place to pass, but I'm going to carry that speed inside, bring it down back down the straightaway. I have plenty of speed to carry it. It's, it's kind of flawless. You're not, you're not even paying attention. Watch this. Show, show me again. Yes. And I think he does that in the final race, right? I think we're led to believe that that little move he does was the one that he demonstrated at the uh, restaurant table there. Yes. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> I love how, I... how like annoyed Ryan seems by all of that. <laughs> 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 like Ryan's like, I can't believe I'm even acknowledging this nonsense. <laughs> What a callback to a great moment in the movie. <laughs> there is a callback here that I actually did enjoy. The humming. The humming. <laughs> oh, and, and Jimmy starts the hum, right? Yes, yes. The humming has caught on to other racers. Still don't know what it means, but... Oh, wait. What does it mean? He's close to the edge? He's on the edge. He's close to the edge. I love how the humming is nonsensical. It's a nonsensical tune. It's just like your four-year-old kid is being annoying at the dinner table when you're telling him to be quiet. So the, the race ends. They all come like within a split second of one another. Except for Joe spinning there at the end there. but yeah. Oh, this is the one where Joe spins. Yeah. It's like a photo finish. If I was Bo, I'd be like, really? Mm-hmm. Right. I found that there was a race in 1997, a kart race, where the first three cars finished within 0.055 seconds of each other. Three cars. That's insane. So it does happen? I don't know. Oh, yeah. No, no, it's called a photo finish, Doug. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, is that what it's called? (laughs) Yes. They have to use a photograph to see who came over first. I guess it's akin to like Rocky beating Apollo up beating the count in Rocky two, it didn't show Jimmy having any other really kind of dominance other than he came from all the way back to win the race. But when you win by like a nose, how definitive of a win is that? But he also got help from Joe. Remember the, the blocking, there's that yeah, Joe jumped over the racetrack. I don't know if that's legal. I don't, I don't know. Sure. He won. Congratulations, win. Jimmy. The moral of the story is Jimmy oh, wins. Oh, but yeah. everybody's friends in the end. 
Yeah, they're all friends. Everyone's getting along. I think Gina Gershon's character, Kathy, I think she's trying to find a way out of this relationship. I think she's scheming her mind to get away from this paraplegic guy. <laughs> Carl ends up in the middle of the racetrack in his wheelchair. How he got there, I have no idea. Nobody wheeled him there, right? <laughs> he says something like to Joe, like, Joseph! Could have won that race, couldn't you? I did win. Thanks. Oh, oh! I, I totally missed that part. Wow! I I think at this point I have, was just waiting for it to end. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Craig, for catching that. Yes, that sounds like a very rock. Yes, Wendy. You no, know, I didn't win the match. I went my personal distance. I did what I was supposed to do as a character. Oh. And then, unlike a lot of Hollywood movies, this movie just ends. Mm-hmm. We don't have a prolonged post, you know, race in the garage or in the locker room scene. We just see them celebrating, and that's it. We don't get the reporter turning in her story or memo in physical therapy, learning how to walk again. Carl was about to sell out his racer right. and fire him, but like, there's no payoff to that either. He just wheels away and goes on with his life. And even the brother is like, ah, oh, that's my brother. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I love him after all. I, this life doesn't exist. This kind of behavior doesn't exist. This no. didn't, I think that's what I had a hard time. I didn't relate to anybody. I didn't like anybody. I didn't understand anybody, their motives, their emotions, the way they reacted, which reminds me again of The Room. If you've seen The Room, have you guys seen that movie? I've never seen it. No. Okay, so maybe my analogy, for those who have seen the movie The Room will totally know what I'm talking about if they have too seen this movie that driven. Your guys' challenge is to go watch The Room, and then you'll be like, oh my gosh, Ryan's right. because I want to see it because I heard great things yes, about it. Because the motivation of the characters, why they're saying what they're saying, that is the, the cadence of The Room. That's the way they speak. And you're like, who are these people? Why are they even existing together? That is driven. Let's ask their artist about this movie. Oh, that'd be Not amazing. The- We should do it. (laughs) So I got to ask you, Ryan, you hadn't seen this movie in what? 18 uh, years. In 18, in next month, it'll be 18 years. Yeah. And you just watched it for this podcast. Do you imagine a time that you'll ever watch this movie again? Never. Yeah, I could easily go another 20. I'm 43 now. I'm, my life is getting shorter. I'm not going to waste any more time watching this. I've already, I've talked about it for almost two hours. I watched it for two hours. That's four hours of my life. You still have to edit the audio-only version of this. That's going to take me – I kid you not, guys. This editing will probably take me six hours. (laughs) We love you for it, Ryan. Doug, um, you hadn't seen this movie. Did it surpass or shatter your expectations? It surpassed my expectations. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Actually, I I had no expectations. I knew it existed, but I was never interested in in racing at all race car movies. I didn't really have any expectations and and just like every scene after scene, I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe that this is the shit that they went with. What hit the cutting room floor? If this is what actually made the final cut. Our challenge to you again, Matt is to find that four hour cut. (laughs) I have to dig out the DVD and watch the 51 minutes worth of deleted scenes. I I guess there's at least an hour of deleted scenes there that, uh, so there is an hour's worth. Yeah. It's funny because I thought last month, when we watched Grudge Match, I had seen the DVD for Driven, and I couldn't locate it prior to recording, so I had to watch it through that other means that we talked about. I'll say for the record, I watched it illegally. <laughs> Come and get me, coppers. FBI's going to uh, No, I, I got to say this. I said it at the beginning of the episode. 
the worst thing a movie can do is not keep your attention. As much as I have problems with this movie from a storytelling and a filmmaking aspect, this movie never lost my attention. And when a movie can hold your interest for its running time, it did something right. I would watch an entire train wreck from beginning to end, too. That would hold my interest. (laughs) Just seeing the train crash. Driven on uh, Amazon to see if... So I'm just seeing what kind of version they have on Amazon. Mm -hmm. That's the version that I watched. Yeah, I wasn't able to watch it. I couldn't even... Yeah, they they have their own like Netflix style. Oh yeah, stream anytime. IMDb yeah. free dive or whatever. Yeah, that yep, that's exactly what I saw it on. See what the extras are here. Uh, I can't find it. Anyways, I think it's yeah. got commentary by Rennie Harlan. It'd almost be interesting. <laughs> that's a good uh, call. I'm not going to put myself through that again. No, 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 no. Well, guys, it's been a pleasure as always. As always, I love talking to you guys. And again, I'm Ryan, going the distance, the Rocky Series podcast. You can find us in every podcast app on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, just by going Rocky Series podcast, going the distance. You'll find me, pictures, and all our videos, live videos, this video, previous videos. And if you're listening to this, go to our YouTube page, the Stallone Podcast Network. That's on YouTube. It's like if you put Stallone Podcast, we're like the third thing that comes up. Put down Stallone Podcast on YouTube. You'll find our channel. Subscribe to it. And you'll get live notifications and watch our previous six movies that we've done. This is our seventh movie. So we're getting there. We're going to build up a library, guys. Wow. 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 We're going to yeah. catch up to Slycast pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell Jeff Ferry that. I think he's starting to get pissed. <laughs> oh, that's funny. We're Slycast. We're chronologically working our way through Sly's filmography. Um, the next chronological film we're doing is Judge Dredd. It's a lot of fun. I know we've talked about this before. Podcasting's a lot of work, man. And I commend you, Ryan, and you, Doug, for consistently putting out product i've been there i've done it and it's hard work it's truly inspiring to see that you guys are consistently putting out content while i sit on the couch and play with my dogs <laughs> yeah our wives love us for it don't they Doug? <laughs> oh man it's getting tougher and tougher now that i'm on, on my night shift four out of my eight nights in a row are, are dedicated to work and now i'm podcasting another one of them she's it's getting tougher but you know, I have a duty. You know, I have a, I have a responsibility here to my fans, the fans of Rocky Minute, my podcast, where we cover the yeah. Rocky movies one minute at a time. When I say one minute at a time, we're wrapping up Rocky 2, which uh, we're doing 118 episodes of. We did 118 episodes of Rocky 1 because we're analyzing one minute of movie time at a time. That's 236 episodes for you to catch up on of Rocky Minute at your leisure before we uh, get ready to start releasing episodes for Rocky (laughs) three. We got a long ways to go, but we're having fun doing it. Just like Ryan, you Google Rocky minute and uh, all of our social media stuff will pop up. I can't wait to be a part of the Rocky three minutes. I thoroughly enjoyed my participation in Rocky one and Rocky two. And I welcome whatever minutes you want to throw my way. (laughs) All right. I don't think there's many slog minutes like, you know, (laughs) the coma. Yeah, Rocky, Rocky Three is great, man. It's pretty it's, lean and mean. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's gonna be fun. All right, guys, thanks and thanks to everyone who's gonna watch this video on our respective channels and listen to us on our respective iTunes channels. We'll talk to everyone later. Bye. Right,